0: You know, I think there is so much more uh, that God would desire for us and have for us than what we ever even can realize or imagine. And, and uh, I think sometimes just by default of life and default of ourselves, we kind of uh, stop short of understanding all that God would have for us. All that he's provided, all that he's, made available to us. And so I want to unpack <clears throat> for some of you what's a pretty familiar story in the Bible, but maybe look at it a little differently this morning. Always in the context of grace, uh, I have, a, I have a, a, a propensity to look at Scripture through the lenses of grace. Uh, it's, it's something that, that, that I need in my life. I'm becoming more and more and more aware of my need for God's grace over my life, and I'm becoming more and more aware of um, how much we don't understand about it. Uh, and so I want to go to Luke 15. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, or you're at home uh, following us, go to Luke 15. All the stuff we'll look at today is on the app as well. So if you've downloaded that, take a, uh, uh, advantage of that. <clears throat> Luke 15. There's three parables in Luke 15. And they have to do with celebrating the discovery uh, of something that has been lost and celebrating the fact that it has been found. And in the three parables in Luke 15, they increase in priority, they increase in importance, what has been lost and what has been found. The first parable, Luke 15, is... The parable of the lost sheep. And there's one out of a hundred. So ratio is what? I I just told you. Right? So one out of a hundred has been lost. And the second parable is a parable lost coin. And this little old lady loses a coin. And it's one out of ten coins. So the ratio has jumped from one to a hundred to one out of what? Now, it's not like the coin that she lost was a quarter. It's in all essence, it was most likely that was her, the, the last of her inheritance that she had to live on, and she lost a tenth of it. And then the third parable is the parable of the lost son, and there's two sons, one of them is lost. What ratio is that? 50%. And so what we see in these parables is, is, is not just the increase in, in the ratio, but the value of that which is lost. Because you talk about a sheep, <clears throat> well, sheep's just a dumb sheep. I mean, I mean, there's no maliciousness in a sheep. Sheep's just gonna wander off and get lost. Not like he's a bad sheep or a malicious sheep. The coin is an inanimate object. It's lost and there's joy when it's found, but neither of those bear much responsibility for their lostness. They're important and there's great joy when the sheep is found and joy when the coin is found. But there's no maliciousness in their being lost. But then we come to the son. And this son, well, there's great malicious intent on his behalf. And there's nobody at fault for his being lost but him. And so I want to talk about this story of this lost son. There's actually two lost sons in this story. One of them gets all the pub, the other one is kind of forgotten about. We're going to look at them both. Let's start in Luke 15. Uh, chapter 15, verses 11 and 12. Jesus continued, he's continuing these parables. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, the father, divided his property between them. The only way that the son could get the estate that was his, as his inheritance, is if the father was dead. Now, the father wasn't dead, but the son is treating the father as if he is dead. Do you understand? Realize what the son is saying. The son is saying, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. You and I, no relationship anymore. I don't want you in my life. I don't want you part of my future. You're dead to me. The son shows profound dishonor and disrespect to his father, dishonor and disrespect to his family. And the result of this request is that the father had to disown his son. There's a complete severing of ties between the son and his family, the son and his father. Now, I don't know if you realize the depth of this request before, if you've ever heard this story. But this is a profound request on behalf of this son. It would seem that at this request, there is now no longer any relationship between the son and the father and the family. They're done. Now, I don't know what your story is, but some of you have come from A family situation like this. Where something has happened in the family and there's been a severing and a cutting of relationships. Where they just don't exist in your life, in your world anymore. That's what's going on here. This is a serious, serious, serious issue. This isn't like, hey dad, can I have 20 bucks? I'm going to go hang out with my friends. This is, you're dead to me. As a parent, What initially would your response be to your child who says this to you about you and your family? Yeah. Take a number. Verse 13 and 14. Not long after he asked that of his father, the younger son got together all that he had, all the inheritance from disowning himself from his father and his family, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there was a severe severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he takes all his resources, all his wealth, everything that he has, everything that he's in essence stolen from his family and his father. Everything he he has as a result of disowning his family and he parties. The Bible says in wild living. Just translate that into our culture, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Uh, we learned later that it was just, he just spent on a bunch of prostitutes, whores, and hookers. I mean, this boy's getting wild. Absolutely out of control. Absolutely out of control. And as usual, the good times of partying soon end. As fun as it might be at a time, for the time being, it does not last. And a famine hits, and everybody loses everything. And as we understand, as older people, the minute the money's gone, the friends are also gone, right? Yeah, true that. I mean, when you're low rolling large, everybody wants to be with you. But when the money's gone, the friends are gone, and this is what happens. His whole life dries up. And he's in a really, really bad way. He's cut off his relationships with his family, He's cut off his relationships with his father. He has no friends. He's in a distant country. He's got nothing. Now, who would really feel bad for this kid? But any of us have great compassion on him? Or would we say, you know what? Hey, kind of reaping what you sowed, right? You created this. Now you're living in it. Enjoy it, right? How much pity would you have on this kid right now? as the father as the mother who was rejected by them as the loved one whom he severed that relationship how much pity would you have on this one huh i mean now we're in church we're like oh i don't know though because the lord loves everybody (laughs) well he does but we don't i mean we would be like look dude you're done man (laughs) Go call those whores you're hooking up with and see if they'll help you out because I ain't helping. Right? Yes, sir. That's how bad it gets. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed the fields to feed the pigs. He, he was so hungry. He's so in need. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. But nobody gave him a thing. Now, this kid's a Jew. And for Jews, pigs are unclean. You couldn't be around them. You couldn't associate with them. You certainly couldn't come in contact with them. You you couldn't desecrate yourself with pig, swine, pork, or BLT. I mean, you just had to stay away from all of it. And so he's in a bad, bad spot. And what this indicates, this is a clear indication that this kid has rejected everything of his family and rejected everything of his faith. He's turned his back on everything. He's totally disowned his relationship with his father. He's totally disowned his relationship with his family. And he's totally disowned his relationship with his God. He is out there. Does there seem to be any redeeming quality of this young man left? No. Who would have pity on him at this point? Have you ever known somebody that just fell off the deep end and made bad mistake after bad choice after bad choice and you look at them and you, and, and somewhere in your heart you just go, should have seen that coming right? Especially if you've never made those choices. That's kind of on you, right? Well, that's where this kid is. And then something happens that brings this kid back to his senses. You know what it is? It's pain. Then pain happens. Pain oftentimes wakes us up from slumber. He gets in such bad need, in so much pain. Things are so bad that he starts to wake up. Understand this, pain oftentimes wakes us up. But pain is not God's primary choice, his primary tool to capture our heart. Grace is. Grace is God's primary tool that he would choose to capture our heart. But oftentimes, pain is what has to be used. Here's why. Because many people use God's blessings to indulge their own desires. And in the midst of God's blessings and favor, their hearts drift away from him. So the tool, blessing, grace, that should be used to join our hearts to God out of enduring love and faithfulness, our hearts wander away, and God uses pain to wake our heart up. Do you understand? See, when we don't allow God's blessings to draw our hearts to him, God uses pain to turn our hearts towards him. See if that's not true. See, see, See if that hadn't happened in your life, in those you know and love. God desires that his blessings will draw our hearts towards him. Matter of fact, the Bible says his loving kindness is what draws us towards him. But when we don't allow the blessing of God to meld our heart to him, He'll use pain to turn our hearts towards him. See, grace is intended by God to cause our hearts to fall more in love with to fall more in love with him. But when our blessings, when the blessings of God tend to cause us to forget about him. We enjoy our blessings so much, we forget our reliance upon him. And as our heart no longer yearns for God every day and moment, God uses pain to turn our hearts back to him. This, this, is, why, this is why blessing is so dangerous. This is why favor is so deadly. Because when things are going really well, and God's favors on us and blessing is being poured out, We tend not to rely as if our life depended on Him. Do you understand? We just enjoy the blessing. And God says, when your heart drifts, it's obvious that blessing isn't going to bring it back. But pain will. I'm But look back over your own life. Just think about your history. How often has pain caused you to get serious about God? Right? Church. How, how often has it been? Things are so bad. When things are going great, how desperately do you seek God day and night? I mean, have you ever stayed up all night long praying and pleading in thanksgiving for all God's blessings on your life? You know what I'm saying? Though when the fit hits the shan and you're in desperate need, then you'll stay up all night pleading for God's rescue, right? And see, this is the danger of blessing that we misuse it and our hearts drift away, not necessarily even out of maliciousness, just out of neglect. And our hearts drift and God says, I want your heart. And he will oftentimes use pain to turn our hearts around. God would rather use blessing. He'd rather use grace to draw our hearts to him. But when we misuse his blessing, he will use pain. And this is exactly what happens. When this boy came to his senses, what brought him to his senses? Pain. pain. He's in the he's, he's with the pigs. He said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll sit out and go back to my father. And I'll say to him, Father. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me me like one of your hired servants. He has this moment of clarity where pain causes him to wake up, where pain causes his kid to start turning things around in his life, where pain causes clarity in his mind. Pain in his body causes clarity in his mind. And he comes up with this three-point case. So I'm going to go back to my dad. And I got a three-point case I'm going to make before him. I'm going to tell him, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. In other words, I realize my faults and my transgressions. I admit it. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. In essence, I realize I've cut off our relationship. And it no longer exists. And it's my fault. And he says, I'm going to ask him just to make me a hired worker. In essence, he says, I'm going to tell him, look, I have no rights as your son anymore. I have no rights as the family anymore. I just want to work for you. I killed the relationship. I'm no longer a child. Can I just have a job? Will you just use me. See, this is where I think a lot of people are in their relationship with God. This is where I think a lot of people are. Many try religious duty to work for God as a hired hand. God, I'll do my best. I mean, I hope you're happy with what I do. I'm just going to, I'm going I'm I'm to work my best. I'll do my best. I'll do something. And so this is his plan. And he sets out to go home. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was a long way off, his father saw him and his father was filled with compassion and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Let me ask you this question. How did the father know the son was coming back home? How did the father know the son was coming back home? He was watching for him. He's watching for him. The father wasn't caught by surprise. It's not like the father was in the office and heard a knock on the door and opened the door and, hey, son, what are you doing here, you idiot? Well, he was a long way off. The father saw him coming home. See, the father was considered dead to the son but the son was never considered dead to the father. Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, he was a long way off. Daddy's watching the horizon. And he was filled with compassion. And he ran to him. This This is the part where for me it gets really, really profound. Because culturally, respectable men of honor did not run. They did not run. That was beneath them. It was a shameful act for a respectable man of honor to run. One reason was because they would wear these robes, and to run, you had to pick up your robe and expose your legs. And that was shameful. In that culture, you just didn't do such a thing. And it was scandalous to expose your legs as a man, as a respectable, honorable man. It was something you would never do. It was unheard of. Now imagine your son is walking back through the streets of your community, And everybody knows the story. Everybody knows his story. And everybody knows what he's done. And everybody knows his past. And everybody knows how he's lived. And everybody knows his shame. And everybody knows the scandal of his life. And everybody talks about what a wretched young man this kid has been. And everybody talks about all the mistakes he's made. And everybody talks about and posts on their social media and has conversations behind his back and your back about what a wretched kid he is. Everybody knows. And they see him coming back, and what do you think the murmurs become? They all start talking. Who does he think he is? After everything he's done, he's shameful. He's disgraceful. What an arrogant prick he is. How dare he? If he were my son, you know what I'd do? Right? 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 And his father feels all of this. And so in a moment of compassion, the father does the one thing that's more scandalous than his son walking home. And he runs to his son. And suddenly all the judgmental eyes that are focused on the shame of the child are now focused on the scandal of the father. Do you understand? This is beautiful to me. And in that moment, the shame turns from the child to the father. They can't believe that this man would run, that this man would expose himself, that this man would be shameful and scandalous like this. But this is what love does. Amen. And it takes the shame and it protects the name. Come on. And it says, I will not let them be shamed. I'll take it on me. You will not disgrace the one I love. Doesn't matter what they've done. I will not let you talk about the one I love the way you're doing right now. I'll take the shame. I love this daddy. Daddy. The son said to him, Father, he starts his three-point speech, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. There's a three-point speech that he's going to recite. Which parts of the speech did he say? First part. Remember, there were three of them he was going to say. Which parts did he say? He said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. What about the third part? He never said, just make me a hired hand. Right? Because the father cut him up, the father interrupted him, because the third point was not relevant. The third point was not relevant. Here's what I know: Because of grace, you're never simply a hired hand. Because of grace, you're never simply a hired hand to the Father. All the Father wants us to do is readily admit who we are. I have sinned and I'm not worthy. And once you admit that, grace takes over. Do you understand? Yes, sir. So many people would say, I have sinned and I'm not worthy, and I'm just going to do my best to work for you, and you miss grace. Imagine all the father has given this son after he squandered his inheritance. Imagine all that the father has given this child after this child has considered his own father dead. Imagine all that the father has given this child after this child had disowned his father, disowned his family, disowned his faith. Who of us would treat this kid this well? Let me ask you this. How well have you treated the one who has treated you so badly and then repented? Grace says, though you've sinned and though you are not worthy, I will throw you a party and favor you. Now, if this lesson ended there, it would be a beautiful story of the loving heart of the Father, and we would celebrate the return of the Son. But the problem is, while beautiful, most of us wouldn't really see ourselves in it. And here's why. Because most good people don't really see themselves as this prodigal. We don't. Now there are some of you who here who who you, who, you, who 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 you do. <laughs> There's some of y'all here that, and 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 we know. Oh, you're a prodigal. Okay, yeah, we got that. But most of us here don't see ourselves as bad as this kid. We might say, yes, we've sinned and messed up. we've, We've made some mistakes and problems. But at the end of the day, we're pretty good people. I mean, there's a lot of other worse people, right? And there's a lot of other prodigals. And this is why I'm so thankful that the story doesn't end there. It tells the story of the other prodigal son. The eldest son. And so we get a glimpse into his heart and his life. See if this doesn't ring true. Meanwhile, all this is going on. The older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Well, your brother's come. And your father's killed the fatted calf. Because he has him back safe and sound. Where was the eldest son? He was out in the field. What was he doing? Doing what he's supposed to do. He's in the fields working. He's got a job, and he's showing up to work, and he's doing his job, and he's responsible, and he's obedient, and he's faithful and he's doing what he's supposed to do, right? Like a good son does. What do you think his response is going to be? Uh, The elder brother became angry and refused to join the party. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, right there. That's a, such a sign of disrespect, as dishonoring as what the youngest son did. It's a, such a sign of disrespect. You do not respond to your father. Look, old man. All these years I've been slaving for you, and have never disobeyed your orders. You, you've never given me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property, the prostitutes, console, you kill the fat calf for him. I mean, can you blame him? He's been the faithful one. He's been the responsible one. He's done it right. He's honored the father. He's honored the family. He's honored the faith. He's not screwed up. This is why I'm glad his story is here because many of us are like the eldest son. Upset that that prodigal been so bad, yet gets treated so well as if it's no big deal. Few people, few eldest sons can celebrate the blessing of the prodigal. Because after all, I've never been down that road that they've been down. Now that they come back, it's okay. No, it's not okay. They should suffer a little bit more. Right? Right? I wonder how many of us parents hold the thumb over our wayward child just so that they'll know we don't approve. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just so don't know. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you. All these years I've niso- never disobeyed your orders. In reality, who's been working as the hired hand all along? I've been faithful to you. and You've never given me at all what you've given him. See the eldest son. See if this doesn't ring true for someone you know. The eldest son was a stickler for protocol, for the way things should be done. And he elevates his rightness rather than the relationship. Do you understand? See, he thinks his rightness is the foundation of his relationship. And this is what religion does. Religion thinks that the rightness is the foundation, the recipe for the relationship. Anytime you elevate rightness as the foundation and recipe of relationship, you move from grace to religion. See, the hallmark of a religious person is complaining. Understand that. The hallmark of a religious person is complaining. Because religious people teach themselves to look for what is wrong rather than celebrate what is right. Do you understand? The father's response is profound. son. Son, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. In other words, what he's saying is you already have access to everything that is mine. You don't need to wait for me to give you a goat to barbecue. All I have is yours everything you have full access to my riches you have full access to my kingdom you have full authority to access all that is mine it's all already yours why do you sit around waiting the keys of the kingdom are yours see both sons and we have to see ourselves somewhere in one of these two sons both sons were wasteful of their relationship with their father. Both of them were wasting their relationship with their father. For the prodigal, he squandered his blessings and his heart wandered away. But for the eldest, his heart wandered away, and he squandered his blessings. Do you understand?: Yes, sir. Where do you see yourself in these two sons? See, for those who are the prodigal, for those who are living with pigs, wake up. It's not going to get better. You're living with swine. You're going to get dirty. Wake up. Don't make God make the pain worse for you to realize I've sinned and I'm not worthy. If you're living with the pigs right now, wake up. Do things differently. Return home where the father can reestablish the relationship that you severed and will take your shame and will speak blessings and celebrate over you. Wake up. But understand that in that waking up, that repentance is the access point to grace. Everything the father had then was lavished upon this prodigal son again after he had repented. We had to repent in order to access all the grace and the blessing of the father. So repent. So right off the bat, if you're the prodigal, if you're living with the pigs, repent. Admit you sinned, you're not worthy. And let the Father reestablish his relationship with you. But for you, who are serving faithfully, for you who are trying hard to do everything right, not disobey, not be disobedient, understand that if you're not living the life of a prodigal, you're living the life of the son who's at home, And as the child of God at home under his care, by grace, everything he has is already yours. I don't know if you realize everything that has been gifted to you through your relationship by faith because of grace. I don't know if you realize everything that is already at your disposal that is already made available to you 100%. That by grace, the father has given you, made available to you all that is already his. Not because you're faithful, not because you've never disobeyed, but simply because of your relationship with him by grace. And we've got to understand what it means to have a relationship with this God and what grace puts us in a position to receive. That we say with full authority and confidence, not arrogance, but because of a relationship, because of his grace. Father, all that you have is mine. BY GRACE THROUGH FAITH I LAY HOLD OF AND TAKE POSSESSION OF ALL THAT IS YOURS IN MY LIFE. I HAVE FULL AUTHORITY TO ALL THAT IS YOURS. ALL THE JOY, ALL THE PEACE, ALL THE HEALING, ALL THE FAVOR. FATHER HAS SAID, all I have is yours. Why are you sitting around waiting for a goat? I've given you the keys of the kingdom and you want a goat? By grace, I don't understand if you have a relationship with Jesus through faith. I don't understand. I don't know if you understand what is yours right now by grace. Full access to all that is God's is yours. You are an heir of God and a co-heir with Christ, Romans 8. All that is his is yours. But if you choose to live as a hired hand waiting for him to throw you a goat. That's exactly what you will experience from him. Always trying harder to work better to earn something from his hand, hoping you've been good enough for him to bless. And all the while he says, son, what do, daughter, what don't you understand? All that I have is yours right now. You've got the keys of the kingdom. Don't, here's the thing, don't live in rejection of the kingdom in your life simply because you don't access it over your life. The father says, child, child, everything I have is yours. And you sit there and act as if it's not. And you sit there and act as if you have to earn something from me. And you sit there and act as if you have to work hard and be diligent, hoping I'm going to throw you a billy goat. You, Rick, come up here. He says, you, you have to realize You've, I am your father. All authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth has been given to my son, and he is with you. And I've given you the keys of my dominion. Why are you begging for a goat? Why are you begging for a goat when you've got the keys of the kingdom? The very kingdom is yours. And all the resources and authority and blessings of the kingdom is yours. Because of grace. You can settle for a goat if you want. And I think a lot of us have been begging and settling for goats. God, if you would just throw me a bone, I'd appreciate it. God, if you just give me a little bit of something, I, boy, that'd be really nice. God, if you just make this a little bit better. And all the while the father's saying, you know what I paid for you? You know what I rescued you back from? you know how much I, pe- like I gave you my son. What do you think I'm gonna hold back from you after him? And you're gonna beg me for a goat? You understand how profound grace is? Yes, sir. To think that God would take the keys of the kingdom, Say there you go. It's all yours. And we'd still sit in the back forty asking for a goat. Don't treat his grace with contempt. Accept the beauty, beautiful scandal of it all. It's good stuff, Carl. Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you, one, that you've saved prodigals like me, that there's plenty of us that have taken from you in arrogance and ignorance and squandered it in stupid living and stupid decisions. And yet when we've cried out to you, came running. Taking our shame so people wouldn't talk about us. So they talk about you. And Father, there's a lot of us that are trying hard to be good and to be obedient and to work hard. So maybe you'll be good to us and throw us a little bone to something. And we've lived in defiance of your grace and held your grace in contempt, forgive us. Father, I believe that there are some this morning, I believe there are some this morning that are realizing they've settled for goats when you've given them the keys of the kingdom. And Father, We want to experience the full measure of your grace, which means we don't want to settle for goat barbecue anymore. We want to live and celebrate and relish and revel in the fullness of your kingdom. We don't deserve it. We admit it. We've not earned it. We couldn't but you've spoken grace over us. And there's so much more you want to do in us and so much more you want to do through us and so much more you want to do for us. Not because we deserve it, but just simply because of this thing that's scandalous grace. And so father, no longer do we ask for a goat cause we've been good. We want the authority of the kingdom in our lives because of your grace and so by the authority of your word and the authority of your name i proclaim over me and i proclaim over us full access to the authority of your kingdom full access to the joy that is your kingdom, full access to the purpose and the power that is part of your kingdom, full access to the healing and restoration that is your kingdom. Almighty God, by the scandal of your grace, let us live in the reality of your kingdom. For that, God, we thank you. In your name of pray, amen.